Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 19. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. I am Richard Ryerson. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. I hope you're finding some value in all these episodes. I know it's been fun for me talking to all these leaders and leadership experts. Hey, before we get started in the interview, I wanted to pass along and ask you, if you're looking to add value to your leadership walk, if you're looking for personal one-on-one coaching in regards to leadership, I am available for one-on-one coaching. You can find out more information at my website. Go and click on the coaching menu item, and you can find all sorts of information on the services that I provide. I guarantee you, no matter where you're at and what stage of life you're in, I can help you or your organization have a positive impact. I can help guide you to help identify and work toward any specific goal that you have. And what I guarantee what you'll get from me is an empathetic coach who's faced similar challenges, similar obstacles, and similar opportunities as you. I'm no different than you, but I'm passionate about leadership and I can help you achieve your goals in leadership. Anyway, thanks again for all your support. Enjoy the interview. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show today Ron Edmondson. Now, Ron is a pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church. He's a church leader and a planner of two churches, and he's been uh, passionate about leadership for, for over 30 years. I came across Ron when I came across his blog, and um, I I'm a, love reading blogs, and I love learning about leadership, and Ron is one of the few that seems to get it done on a daily basis, so I enjoy going to his blog and reading a little bit more about leadership and, and what he believes. So, Ron, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Richard? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time. I don't know a lot about you, to be quite honest, which is why I'm excited to have you here to learn a little bit more about you. So Absolutely. tell me, how me, how did you you know, come across leadership and getting passionate about leadership and teaching others and mentoring others? You know, my leadership history goes a long ways back. I was um, uh, in high school. I was always interested in politics and news, uh, even when I was a child. I don't know how that uh, where I got that from necessarily, although my grandfather was on um, uh, the school board and did some things like that. But um, but it really was just, uh, I, I guess, sort of introduced to me early that I, I had a passion for knowing what was going on in the news and the world around me. And then when I got to high school, I had a principal that was a retired colonel, and I grew up in a military town. And he really was a leadership uh, developer because I had the interest in government, those sort of things. I had always been involved in government and um, served as class president several times and then as student body president my senior year. And he just, he believed that the leaders, the student leaders uh, in the school should be running the school, so to speak. And so he turned a lot of reins over to the students, which uh, I still attribute to the launch of my uh, leadership, my launch into leadership was because of him, and um, and then uh, shortly after that, going to college, I was uh, working. I, I worked pretty much full time since I was in middle school, and um, my uh, I worked my way through college at a department store. When I was about nineteen years old, um, just working. You know, in a department, my boss uh, 
up and quit. And I was kind of there by default and they just kind of looked at me. I'd, by that point, I'd been working six or seven years in, in the in the workforce. And so I was a little more probably advanced my age as far as just work experience. And so they gave me this job, you know, of, of managing this area. And it was, it was just kind of, uh, I was way over my head and meeting people much older than me. And um, one of the guys on my team was actually in his second career, and he was in his 60s and had led businesses and been a, been a successful uh, leader and business person. He uh, he realized I was in over my head. I think he took a personal interest in me um, and uh, invested in me and let me make some mistakes as I was leading. So that's kind of how I got started in leadership. And after that, it's just, you know, um, I've always found myself in leadership role, whether that was in the business world or community and now in the church. Um, what what businesses did you start or did you, did, were you, did you have your own business or did you work for other people? I, I did both. I, I worked with, uh, uh, in, in retail, uh, I worked in grocery stores and all the way through high school and then in retail department store world uh, through college and then afterwards went through a management training program and really enjoyed retail my whole career um, and it just got to where it was much hard to have a family life and so I went out on my own and started an insurance agency um, was uh, was very successful with that and uh, really in, enjoying um, that uh, but then another opportunity came along to buy a small manufacturing company, and it was kind of a big risk. And so the insurance company that, had, again, was just on the cost of making us very successful, and but sold it and bought this manufacturing company. And if it could go wrong, it did. And, and uh, we chased the dollar uh, five years that we owned it. My wife went in with me to, to uh, run this business. And um, after five years of just being very tired, trying to make payroll every week, we sold the business, pretty much lost everything we put into it, and uh, went looking for uh, work. And after eight months still looking, it was a, I came to the realization that God was calling me into, into full-time ministry. And so that's where we, uh, that's how we landed into ministry. And what year was that? Oh, I don't know what year. It's uh, about twelve years ago. I've been full time ministry about twelve years. So then, how did that? Um, what is the biggest challenge? I guess for you've been in ministry for twelve years. You've planted two churches. You say you're passionate about that. What has been your biggest challenge? And or reward of being in ministry and planting churches? Well, uh, the, the biggest challenge is working is always people. I think that's the biggest challenge for any leadership role is, is the people you're trying to lead. Uh, you, you know, if, if, if people just did as I wanted them to, we would, it would all be great. Right. But, <laughs> right. but it, it's, uh, that's always been the challenge is, uh, working with people and different opinions and different ideas and 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 whether they're uh, good, bad, or indifferent, it's just bringing people together is is always the challenge in leadership. Uh, but yet, um, you know, that's also the bright side. The the 
people are also the rewards. Seeing people yeah. get excited about something and and progress and growth, uh, the, those are the things that excite us too. So, um, people are the challenge, but they're also the reward. It seems like, especially on the the, the church side, it seems much more challenging than the business side. I mean, I've known a few pastors through my life, and they always just seem overwhelmed with the leadership challenge that they're faced with. I don't know if that has to do with it being a volunteer-type service, or why do you think that is? Or or do you even think that it's more challenging than business? No, it's definitely more challenging. In the business world, we made decisions much quicker and um, and probably for more strategic reasons sometimes. There's a there's a couple of elements in the ministry world. One, there, you know, we uh, we say we walk by faith and not by sight. At least that's our attempt. Um, but also in in a ministry world, every uh, person has a sense of ownership in this. Where in a business world, okay, I may be a customer, but in a church, if I attend on a regular basis and I contribute, I feel like I'm a stock owner. You know. Right. Uh, to, to put it in a business context, I really feel like I have a personal voice in this. And so, um, and, and in, this, in many ways they do. And so uh, it does create you bringing a lot more people uh, together. And, and uh, in business, you can just say this is the way it's going to be. In, in, in church, it's, you have to be a little more diplomatic about that. What do, you, what do you think some of the characteristics of a great leader are? Well, I personally like uh, uh, humility in a leader and right. integrity. Um, you know, I think um, recognizing that I can't do this on my own, uh, realizing that it takes um, a team approach, it takes more than me to make something successful, I think is, is probably the most, uh, one of the most attractive things about a leader uh, and, and makes them successful. If I realize I need your help, to accomplish the vision, you're more w- likely to want to participate and give me your best. Um, and you know, and I've worked for both kinds of, of bosses when I was in the business world of, of uh, uh, bosses who were very controlling, and then bosses who empowered people. And I've always performed better under people who empowered. Yeah, people typically uh, do. You're right. I mean, I, I had a conversation with Lee. Cockerell yesterday, who was who ran uh, was operations at Disney World for ten years, and he had an amazing story of how he you know started out as this autocratic, top down leader, which is still prevalent in a lot of places, surprisingly, and he transformed into this you know all inclusive or empowering type of leader. You've always been an empowering leader, I think. Well, I, I mean, I've always tried to be. I think there's a tendency in all of us to step back and want to control, right. Um, but but absolutely, um, there's a uh, um, there's a desire in me. I mean, I I have a keen recognition that uh, I that I can't do it on my own, and I think part of that comes out of the fact that I had a business that did go bad, and um, you know I would love for somebody to come along and been able to to uh, help me out in that. And I think at that time I was probably I was I was younger, and and probably not as um, as humble as I should have been and probably didn't ask for help when I should have. And, and I, you know, I think I learned from that. So now I I think I do want, if I, if I surround myself with competent people, people that are smarter than I am, then, uh, then I do want their help. Yep. That's always the key. 
I think I'll, it's, it's amazing the more leaders that I talk to, and I know for myself, that we all seem to have this perception early on in leadership that it is about the leader. But the more that you study leadership, the more that you understand that it's really not about you, it's about them. And it's about being humble and and trying to get the best out of everybody else. I guess the, the, the real key to a leader is being willing to step out there and be accountable for everybody's actions. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The... Um the, the leader takes uh, takes I mean it's his at the end of the day it's about leadership and so uh, the leader has to take that responsibility in some of my presentations I talk about and I don't know I think it, we're always um, we think the times we're living in you know that we're the first to experience everything but any study student of history or or study of life we know that's not always true it always repeats itself. Do you feel like we're in a crisis of leadership? Do you feel like it's unique in that sense? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it if it's crisis of leadership. It's it's harder to lead today um, because uh, you can easily get shot down. You know, you, uh, it, your your life is online, and and um, it, anything you do is is subject to being criticized. Much easier to criticize today than it was. Uh, years ago, um, it spreads faster anyway. And so, um, I mean, I, I, sometimes I wonder, why do I put myself in the, in the first position? It'd be better to be the number two guy and, right. and you know, let somebody else take the pot shots. But, I, you know, I don't know if it's, um, maybe crisis is the word, but certainly it's, it's harder to lead today and it's probably harder to get people to step up and, and take the role of leadership. Uh, and without leadership, we're all going to struggle. So, you know, we used to say, and, and not a political statement by any means, but we used to say in, in our um, the community I grew up in, and I served in, in leadership positions there too, but it was hard to find good people that wanted to run for government office those days. Right. Because the best people, the people that are leading the best in the community or in their businesses or in the churches, wherever, uh, they don't want to subject themselves to that. And so um, in, in that sense, yeah, I would say that's a, that's a crisis if, if people won't step up. What do you see the biggest challenge? What are most of your congregation or what are the people, what do you see they're most hungry for? I think people want to be led. They want um, a clear vision to know where we're going, and then they want some steps of how to get there. And um, I mean, that's that's what here where I'm at now. And I've only been where I'm at six months, but I don't think it was that much different where I was before. Uh, that's what they're looking for. Tell me what's next. Tell me how to get there. Uh, which is exactly what leaders are supposed to do. They take people where they don't yet know they need to be or, or won't know they need to be there but don't know how to get there. And uh, I think that's the number one thing I think our people want is help discerning what's next and how to get there. What about you do consulting and with uh, other pastors? What do you see their biggest challenge or their biggest weaknesses are? Well, I mean, their biggest challenges are people too, but um, – you know, I, I think figuring out um, how the how-to, we all pretty much can agree on what we want. Um, you know, if it's church, we want more members or we want more people coming 
to faith in Christ. If it's a business, we want more profit. It's it's that those strat the how tos are what's what's very difficult. And you know, even our conferences, we all go to conferences, but even those conferences tend to focus on the vision part of it. And the how to is much harder to to define, and some of that's con- contextual, so it's harder to find for somebody else. But I. Um, when I talk to pastors, they just they would love for me to help them figure out how to get from A to B, um, and I don't always know how either. It, sometimes that's a matter of a team working together too. Yeah, it seems to me the big challenge would be like, what do I do next? I mean, you even see that in entrepreneurship and businesses. Like, I, I have this, you know, thirst, this desire, this burning calling inside my heart, be it for ministry, be it for creating something, be it for running a business. But the overwhelming thing is I don't no one knows what to do next. Do you have any advice for anybody about that? Well, I I think uh sort of back to what we we talked about with with leadership. I I would say um first to a leader that's struggling with what's next is don't think you have all the answers. Right. And so uh be willing to ask for help. In every church that I've ever been in, whether that's consulting or, or, or pastoring, there's somebody in the church that has information I don't have, that has been through something. It may be in business, but it, it's transferable. So if that's working with people, if that's a challenge of how to raise capital or how to finance a church building or whatever that is, there are some people in the church who have more knowledge than I do about an issue. And so I try to surround myself with some of them. And one of the problems that I see for leaders, and maybe especially pastors, is there's there's this uh, shame almost we put on ourselves in asking for help. Because yeah. if, I, if, if I say I don't know how to do something, then that's evidence, you know, that I'm weaker. But um, but but that's what I would say first is don't think you have to have the answer yourself. No, that, that's great. And I think tied into that, too, is is it's okay to have doubt. I think a lot of times, you know, we get racked with doubt. We get racked with, is this going to work or not? And I think that's part of the normal process. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. If there's no doubt about it, you're not taking very big steps. Right. Uh, uh, I always say I've I've seldom been a hundred percent certain about anything right. when I get ready to make a decision. You know, I, um, you can't eliminate every doubt. If you do, then then you're probably waiting too long to to um, to make decisions, and you're probably suffering in the in the process. There's a there, you're missing something along the way by not moving fast enough. Yeah, I think you know anything that you do bold or anything courageous. It's going to be wrought with doubt. I think that's very important for people to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and having the courage to continue to choose to go ahead anyway once you're sure that this yes. is the right thing to do. I mean, you, you're yes. still going to be wrought with doubt, so I think that's important too. That's right. So what's next for you? What you, you know, You've just started – so you – I heard you say you've been at this church for six months. So you've just come to a new church and you've planted there. Is You were called to this church or they, you were asked to come there? Yeah, um, I have been. Um, uh, it, this is the fourth church since I went into ministry. The first church was a restart, kind of of a relaunch. The the second two were church plants, and this church has been around for a hundred years and um, just had a few uh, difficult years. And 
uh, it was not something I was looking for or applied for or anything like that. It was just um, uh, we ha- our paths crossed through a, a long set of circumstances, and 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 uh, it became apparent that's what God was doing in my life at this time. Even though this was a smaller church um, than than I came from, it has the potential to 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 really do some great things and has again has been around a hundred years with a great history and I have a heart for the um, as much as I have a heart for church planting and I think there's a lot of energy in church planting right now I also have a heart for that declining um, established church you know our America's full of them yeah and there's more there's more building than there is people, and and the people are frustrated, and they don't know what to do, and they 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 don't know that how they don't know how to how to move forward and, and change, and so it's a it's it's different. It's revitalization more than it's it's planting or even pastoring. So that uh, which comes with its own set of challenges, which I enjoy challenge, um, and so it's 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 going to be unique. Um, uh, what we do in the years uh, to come. Tell me about your friend, um, Artie Davis. Yes. He wrote a book called Cravable. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, his concept is that, that there are certain things we can do that make ourselves craveable, um, uh, and that was his his term, to where people are, are wanting to come to your church. You know, we, we tend to... Uh, complicate things as churches sometimes and and he believes that um and he has done that in where he's at um in orangeburg south carolina which is the uh center of of uh of nothing you know it's in the middle of nowhere uh and and the people in orangeburg may not like you saying that but it it is i've been Mm -hmm. there and it's a it's a great city though, um, but it's there's not much around there. And um, he has built a a church that is very craveable. And the and the great thing about it in a, in a community that has a history of some racial tension, he has built a multiracial church that uh, truly embraces all races and all walks of life and is a very large church uh, for that community. And he's done that, and he's by doing that, he has in, uncovered some principles that he thinks will translate to to others regardless uh, to make a craveable church. And I think this is, well, I guess I'm supposed to say this, but I think uh, he, he this will be a part of a series of books about craveable. So it's really a branding that he's introducing, also of craveable uh, as 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 followers of Christ and craveable as churches and and that sort of thing. So it is something that he's developing as a concept. Any insights to what some of those things are that would make that church craveable or make you know his leadership style craveable? Well, one of the things is, and and it, this is not new, but he's put it into uh, terms that are easy to understand. It's just a simplification of what we do. Sometimes people on the outside have a hard time understanding where they fit into the body of Christ and how they um, uh, how they can accomplish anything, or how they can even uh, make friends or whatever. And uh, he 
uh, he has simplified that process so that it's uh, it's much easier to say, okay, uh, he, here's where I fit in, and this is what I do. We talk about that how-to. He's kind of simplified that approach. How do we grow as a church and as believers together? And um, that in and of itself makes it craveable to its community. Well, I'll be anxious to see that, lead that book. It's coming out just, uh, I think, tomorrow or today. Oh, it's coming out today. Is that right? February 5th? Are you there, Ron? Yeah, February fifth. Who are your leaders? Yeah. Who are your leadership heroes? You know, I have lots of them, and, and most of them are probably not uh, uh, people. I mentioned my high school principal, and he would certainly be one because he was early in that process. I had a pastor when I was about twenty five that uh, challenged me and encouraged me to um, to lead and and to be active in the church world at least, and so he spoke some wisdom into my life. And then I had a, a mentor uh, in my late 20s who was a, a great leader. Again, I mean, he has he's just written a book, too. His name is David Atchison. Um, and uh, he, he spoke words of wisdom into my life about leadership as well. Um, so those are some personal ones that have, have uh, helped me a great deal. And then, you know, I read all the the books that are out on leadership, you know, the John Maxwell's and, and those sort of uh, things too. I, I, I believe uh, personally that there's something we can learn from everyone. Absolutely. So I'm constantly just trying to be a sponge of the people around me. Of what can I learn? You know, my boys, I've got a 21 year old and a 24 year old. And in some ways they've taught me a lot about mm-hmm. leadership. In, in leading them and how they respond to life and watching them respond to me has helped me a great deal with how I respond to others. One thing I like to talk about here on the Dose Leadership Podcast are, are leadership failures. Anything that you're willing to share that have stuck out and you learned a lot from? Yeah, you know, uh, lots of lessons that I've, I've, I've learned over the years. Uh, one that sticks out uh, when we were talking about um, in business and that sort of thing. And it's something I see leaders do a lot. I actually blogged about a similar concept this morning, but a lot of times one of the things leaders do is, um, and I don't know if we violate the the definition of leader when we do this, but when things are, are really struggling, I'm having a hard time, um, when things just aren't working, whether that's in business or church, um, Leaders, a lot of leaders disappear. You know, it becomes hard to, uh, uh, when I was in business and we were struggling, I found myself making excuses for not being there. And I was the leader, I was the boss, so to speak. And so I could, uh, I, I, I could have something else going on. And I found excuse. I volunteered on committees, I did different things, anything but be there in the middle of, of a business that was going bad. And what happens when you do that is if the leader disappears, then everybody else follows. Yep. And so the work morale goes down and the work ethic, you know, the, the production, productivity, all that de- decreases, which is the exact opposite of what we want. And so uh, as hard as it is, the leader has to stay in there w- uh, with the, the ship, so to speak, even if it's declining. And and I see that with pastors too, where they they get so 
uh, burnt out, that they just check out. And a lot of times the victories just on the other side, they just didn't hang in there long enough to let that happen. Um, today I blogged about the concept of uh, in leadership, we tend to to be dictated by the negative rather than by the positive. And, and many times we look at what is not working rather than picking our eyes up and seeing all the things that are working and all the things that, that, is, that are positive. And we allow a few negative voices, the one anonymous critic or the one, you know, criticism from somebody who's, you couldn't change their mind if you wanted to. And we let them dictate our, our attitude and our perception and, and, uh, and, and how we feel about the, the, uh, what's going on in the, in our organization or church, whatever that is. And so, um, we have to be very careful to find our confirmation, our affirmation um, among the the things that are working and the vision that we've been called to do. Well, that's great. I saw that you posted about the uh, the f- uh, farmer Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. Did you have a? You said you had a grandfather that lived in Kansas. I I do. I, I did. He uh, he died when I was young. What part but- of Kansas? Dead center. It was uh, Lincoln, Kansas. Lincoln? Okay, yeah, I'm in Wichita right now. So yeah, all my relatives are from Kansas. But yeah, anyway, so this great. So what did you think about the commercial? Uh, it was great. It just uh, it it captured uh, exactly my memory and and uh, the heritage of my grandfather that I have heard and remember. So uh, it was it was just great. You know, farmers. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about that if uh, if you don't sow, you'll never produce harvest, and if you, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never plant. And um, the farmer is a great example of what it's like in leadership to take risks. I mean, you plant, and you don't know which which are going to come up and which are not. You just plant the seeds, and you water, and you do the best you know how. And at the end of the day, God is in the multiplying business. Right. And, and for all of us, I think that that's a great principle for all of us to live by of, of just, um, uh, you know, we, we and, and I would say that to even people who aren't walking by faith, I would hope they are. That's the business I'm in now or the process of what I, the leadership I'm doing now. But for all of us, we have to get to a place where, we're willing to take that risk again. And, um, you know, and, and the other side of that too, is we've all been injured. So we've all had our wings clipped, so to speak, where we are not in that area of our life as willing to take a risk. It may be that uh, somebody hurt our, our feelings and, or somebody injured us even deeper than that. And so we don't take those risks. And when we don't, and there's there is no uh, chance of success without the risk of failure. Somebody said so. Yeah, and farmers certainly encapsulate that. They certainly embody that whole idea of getting back up, even though they've been wounded and sometimes they've been more than clipped and winged. They've been pretty much amputated and they still got to get up again. So look, you can have three, four, five years of of bad crops, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and you just have to try again the next year. You know, you just have to, and eventually you have a good year. And usually, the harvest is 
uh, of that hopefully carries you through some difficult year. You know, I watched a documentary that Ken Burns, I love Ken Burns documentaries, and he did the one on um, the Dust Bowl a month or two ago. It came out, and wow, just amazing stories. And the tenacity and the, the unwillingness to give up, you know, that went on for seven, eight, nine years of just horrendous drought conditions and, and losing almost everything. So yeah, yeah, it was it was encouraging to see that that commercial was the most popular. You know, you you get so used to seeing the kind of the the thirty second kind of goofy, no meaning commercial always went in the top spot, but that one by hand, hands down from what I'm seeing. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, there were a couple of others that I saw last night were big, but I didn't see those necessarily. So yeah. Well, where can where can people find you, Ron? Well, I'm I'm pretty easy to find online. Um, I've been doing online ministry since uh, about 1996, and for years that was a daily devotional, and that's still out there, but it's it's on a repeat. So you'll read something that was written years ago, but that's at mustardseedministry.com. It's just a daily devotional, and then uh, I transitioned to blogging about uh, three or four years ago because that's where the energy was. And uh, that's easy to find also, ronedmondson.com. And, and then I do uh, Twitter and, and Facebook. And again, everything's easy to find, just Ron Edmondson. So um, I'm, I, I believe in online. I believe in, in uh, what um, the ministry that's able to happen, but also the networking and connections that are able to happen online. I think it's very powerful. Well, I got to tell you, I think that even if, you know, people listening out there, if you're not walking in faith, or if you are, regardless, I, st- I still encourage you to check out ronedmondson.com. Uh, it's a great blog. It's a great chock full of information. You know, I'm a firm believer that um, you know you got to be a leader in all aspects of your life, and I think your stuff is really good for uh, being the husband, being the father, being the spouse. That's what I love about your site. It's chock full of common sense, straightforward talk, and you do it on a daily basis, which is even which is even better. So I appreciate the effort you're doing, Ron, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of yours. So thank you for your service and everything that you're doing out there on the leadership front. Thank you, Richard. Well, Ron, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and um, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Ron. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.